Hey Manny, what are you having for lunch? I don't know. I had a savory waffle from Bites and Bowls for breakfast. It was so satisfying. Yeah, I heard they have great food at Bites and Bowls. I'm gonna order a sandwich and a salad from there. Great, order me a smoothie, please. Of course. Whether you're looking for breakfast or lunch, come to Bites and Bowls, a fun Latin-owned eatery in East Springdale. We're back with the District 3 podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Manny. Um, this is episode 105. Thank you so much for listening in. Um, today, I am joined by the multi-talented, very wonderful Simone Cottrell. Simone, uh, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And just for everybody out there, because my last name is so hard, it's <laughs> yeah, Cottrell. Cottrell. It's thank like, you. Like a really cheap bed and like the monster that lives under a bridge. Cottrell. Troll. Troll. <laughs> yeah, Cottrell. <laughs> okay. So. Cottrell. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, and, and I was asking right before, like, we jumped on, I was like, what is what is your title? Like, how, how do <laughs> you introduce yourself? So what, what is your title? How would you introduce yourself? Yeah, other than, like, Empress of the World, um, <laughs> my my 9 to 5, if you will, which is not a 9 to 5, it doesn't feel like a 9 to 5, um, is Arts Resource Desk Manager with Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, also known as CASH. Um, my artistry is Multidisciplinary Theater Maker. Yeah, <laughs> and, and which is like, yeah, there's a lot going on there. And I believe in the multidisciplinary theater maker because I, I was telling you, I, I was just at Crystal Bridges and I saw your face in, in a portrait there um, from this uh, crazy art thing that just happened in 2020 due to the pandemic. And it was like, I maybe you could we could just start off talking about that because that was like a crazy viral moment in my <laughs> life. That I was like, this is so cool. Uh, could you tell our listeners maybe what what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So as a multidisciplinary theater maker, I love using visual art, music, creative writing, and of course, theater to create whatever I can create. And specifically in the last four or five years, I moved from theater education to working with um, disinvested communities to help them bring their their stories to the stage so of course with covid it really locked me into my room (laughs) and i had nothing to do and i was just so bored and frustrated and all the things so i literally was like let me do some tableau which is um a frozen picture in the theater world and using whatever i can find in my house so um i started off with small things and then it just started kind of catching on and as i started catching on um like the Getty and the Met and Crystal Bridges and all like not to say that I started it tableau is a very ancient art form but it was something that I think other like-minded people were doing across the nation and it just came to like this really cool pivotal moment when CBS reached out to me and was like can we use your photos to talk about the pandemic and how people are being creative I'm like what yes (laughs) of course yeah so um with it one of those images being um in Crystal Bridges it's like I was telling someone earlier who saw the photo as well and like took a picture and sent it to me. Um, I'm like, you know what? Arts education is my love. And of course, I'm going to be like anywhere and everywhere doing something like this. So yeah. that's that's how I ended up in Crystal Bridges. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one heck of a story. And I, I, it's so cool to me because we've had guests on here and we've talked about, you know, 2020 is, is mostly behind us because we aren't quarantining as much as we were then, right? Um, but just the way that people have created art, and I know you had a, a few other projects, right? Um, 
uh, especially with a the theater, do, are, are you comfortable talking about some of those sure. other things? Sure. So, yeah. So 2019 was personally and professionally like a lot of tragedy, but a lot of triumphs. And like part of that triumph out of tragedy was um, I received uh, three awards that year. I think it was the end of innovative um, grant, um, interchange grant, and Artist 360 grant, all for Lotus Rising Theater. Um, so Lotus Rising Theater was um, a community effort with myself and four other um, Southeast Asian women um, who wanted to talk about how we got here to Northwest Arkansas. Um, one of the things that had occurred in 1975 to Laos and, and Vietnam and Cambodia to where it created this diaspora that a lot of people don't know about in Northwest Arkansas. Um, so, and and for me personally, um, it was a dream to, to do this um, or get this group together because I had been in theater since I was four years old. And only twice have I, like, when I was four, having an almost all-Asian cast. <laughs> and then I didn't see another Asian cast until 2018, when Theater Squared did Viet Gone. And so that's, I was 33 at that time. Like, that's a massive amount of time to have been in professional theater and not seen any other Asian face. And so um, part of the reason why I went into theater education or especially social practice was to make space and make room for folks who wanted to do this but didn't know how. Um, and so with the pandemic came along, we had to stop everything. Like, we already had done cultural agreements. But what also happened, um, of course, with the pandemic, with um, the one that we shall not name, otherwise known as 45, um, <laughs> increasing the um, xenophobia against Asian Americans. So, you know, lots of stories that have occurred in Northwest Arkansas, and one of them made it to the national news was, of course, um, attacks on Asian Americans. So it was not the best time, and it's still not the best time right now to continue um, that work. So it's on pause. Mm -hmm. um, but we're still, you know, in contact, checking in on each other. Um, our, our number one is to make sure that the elders are feeling safe. And right yeah. now, they still don't feel safe. Yeah. So. And, and that's a shame. You know, it's, it's so sad to me, because I here in Springdale, you know, there's there is a small, really tight knit uh, Laotian community. Um, and I grew up with Laotians all around me, um, especially in Far East Springdale, mm. um, which is like the Sonora area where I, a lot of uh, Laotian families came and, and started farming families. And then you just have generations and generations of, of people there um, that are sticking around in this part of Springdale. Um, and it's like that piece of culture that really no yeah like you said doesn't get talked about very much in, in yeah. northwest arkansas well let's talk like let's talk i love talking about this is like three things that i love talking about the arts race and ethnicity yeah and yeah. change right? anything uh -huh. that could happen with all that so like just for folks who don't know um 1975 50, 000 southeast asians came through fort smith at fort chaffee right and that was one of four places in the united states that would receive south um refugees during that time and so of course of uh, once they were allowed to leave, they were given like $500 each family or each person, $500 and said go. So you have no access to mental health. You have no access to anyone that can speak your language to help translate, if any. And you, what happened was, um, and this has a little bit to do with my beginnings of, of being in theater, um, 
refugees went to literally geographic locations that mirrored their home. So why do we have like such a high Hmong population here? Because we have the Ozarks. You know, mm-hmm. we could replicate what was at home. Yeah. And if you're not given, like, the tools necessary to, to thrive, you're going to be silent. <laughs> right, right. Like, why put yourself out there? And But that's also the case of the United States and race in general is living in a binary. We have, like, white community on one side, black community on the other, mm-hmm. and everyone in the middle gets forgotten about to some extent. Um, so that's for me, when we talk about theater, when we talk about storytelling, um, it's the one place, the arts is the one place where every story is celebrated, mm-hmm. but yet we're still working against a lot of white systems that, that are slowly making space <laughs> for us. Um, but not as quickly as I'd love it to be. Yeah. When you, when you talk about those spaces, like, are there any that, uh, here in the last couple of years, have like come to mind where you're like seeing some growth or you're seeing you're kind of happy to see like some representation there at all <laughs> i'm not gonna call anybody out okay. <laughs> I'm keep that to myself. Right. but what i would love to see what i would love to see is like let me ask you a question right so you're yeah. from here yeah i'm not from here i've right. lived here i'll be it'll be six years in january how many southeast asian buddhist temples are from rogers all the way to fort smith i think there's only one no None? There's six. Six? Okay. Six. Okay. I, I thought I knew of one, uh, but six. Yeah. yeah. So there's six. So that yeah. lets me know. And one just opened up in the last year. Like, there is a strong representation here, mm-hmm. right? And the work, the personal work that I do um, as a multidisciplinary theater maker is I'm not interested in trying to find, like, a stage that <laughs> why an institution. Mm-hmm. What I'm interested in is how that community, where do they feel most safe and most comfortable and make it site specific mm-hmm. and so what there's six temples between rogers and fort smith and if you go to uh, specifically any um, theravada buddhist temple there's usually like the sacred religious space and then there's the social space and every social space has a stage and that's rooted back to like our core of theravada buddhism where the temple was the gathering space mm-hmm. for anybody and everybody and so when I think about spaces from from my point of view, it's not necessarily which institution is the largest that has a, a literal stage and lights and all those things. It's where people feel most comfortable and all you need is an audience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's beautiful. And I, I, I think like you, you think of that, the... I think this is true for most religious locations, but um, those temples being such a, a, a central and safe space where, like, we're here in northwest Arkansas and you can't, like, go past two streets without seeing a Christian church, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them are, like, as big as a house, but it's, like, they're there and the signs are there and they've got huge parking lots always. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, like you said, there's only, you know, six temples. Um, I went to a, a Laotian New Year, and this is kind of just, like, my one largest experience with with buddhism uh-huh. where you know they they took me to uh the the big temple in dallas and like there was a large celebration yeah. and that was just <laughs> it was just such a, a a great experience because you saw people just being so comfortable and free in that moment um which is why those safe spaces are so important did um, you get hit with a water balloon absolutely i was <laughs> 
I, I, well, well, because as the one like non Laotian there in, in the group. Oh, they were like testing you. Yeah, it was, it oh, was yeah. a bit abusive, you know, but I was there for it. I, I was like, bring it on. Like, can he handle the, the, the shaving cream in the face? Yeah. But, you know, the Laotian um, New Year is um, the, La- the Lao, the Thai, and the Khmer, and the Sri Lankans, because it's all Theravada Buddhism, we celebrate New Year at the same time, and that's mm-hmm. the beginning of the monsoon season. So anything having to do with water, it's there. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, yeah. and that's part of it too. It's like uh, people are there. I didn't get the backstory, right? <laughs> because <laughs> they're like, we just gonna throw them in and see what happens. Oh, yeah. Rude. <laughs> uh, but it's like at the same time, I don't deserve that. Like I was there as an observer, as a participant. Like they were celebrating this thing that happens every single year. Um, so at the same time, I was just like, this is awesome. I'm just gonna try to enjoy it, <laughs> and and I'm glad that they allowed me. Um, now you you mentioned you've been here about six years. Uh-huh. Uh, do you mind talking about your story, like the diaspora you mentioned? How do you end up in Arkansas? Um, a really bad breakup. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Long story short, it was a really bad breakup. But um, but no, so uh, I came to Northwest Arkansas in twenty. I moved here literally with uh, this huge huge moving van that I did not know was going to be so big and drove it all the way from Mississippi to Fayetteville on New Year's Eve. (laughs) And so I literally woke up the next morning in Fayetteville, Arkansas, like January 1st. This is our, our anniversary. Um, so my sister Savannah lived or lives in Bentonville. She's lived there for uh, maybe 14 years. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the bad breakup, I was really getting bored and tired and Starfall, Mississippi. Um, but I can talk about that later. Um, and I just needed something new. I needed to just break free. And I just kind of had enough. Wanted to, like, learn and be somewhere where I, I needed, like, good friction and good trouble. <laughs> yeah. So um, just packed up my stuff. And um, I put in a resume at Trike Theater in Bentonville, Arkansas. And they were like, well, you could be a teaching artist. But how about we make you a manager? I'm like, cool. Into it. Let's yeah. Go. <laughs> And so I, that's how I moved here. And I started working with Trike Theater. I um, was there for like a year and a half and then became um, director of outreach with Artist Lab Theater. Um, and then after that was doing my own thing for quite a bit until I got this job with Arts Resource Desk um, yeah. with cash. But, but it sounds like, you know, you're very much firmly rooted here now. Oh, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't think... When everybody, when anybody asks me where's home, and I'm like, I don't know. It's uh-huh. like I kind of make anything home. Like, yeah, which is a great <laughs> uh, characteristic to have. It's just like having the freedom to be able to go and and, and leave and do the thing, right? Yeah. And just um, yeah, I'm, I'm the kind of person. If you take me to your house, I will have my shoes off and like curled up on your couch and watching your TV <laughs> like day one. Um, yeah, so. like don't have to tell you to make yourself <laughs> no. at home. You're doing it. Yeah. I will find the glasses on my own. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. But um, as far as like my family history here, so for folks who can't literally see me, I am a brown person. Um, my mother is Cambodian and my father is white. And my mother came over um, to the U.S. in 1983 in Nashville after surviving um, the Killing Fields, um, which was a genocide between 1975 through 1979. Um, that's the, you know, historical bookmark um i believe that genocides last way longer than the bookmark because of the Mm. effects of it um so about two million people died under the um pol pot regime um so my family came over um after being in the refugee camps um in thailand and uh my 
dad was working with the Catholic Archdiocese in Nashville with refugees, and he was, like, really into the culture. Long story short, he hired a Cambodian matchmaker. Um, <laughs> he wanted to marry into the Cambodian culture, so he hired a Cambodian matchmaker. Yeah. And he was like, all right, let's let's go. <laughs> and so um, my, my mom's family came over, and the matchmaker was like, well, let's go visit this family. They just came in. And my dad was um, was meeting my mom's cousins. Um, they weren't really jiving, I guess, was the best way. And my mom was cooking lunch. And my dad's like, what's her story? What's up with that? <laughs> and um, so long story short, they got married like six months later. <laughs> and um, we ended up moving. I was born and ended up moving to um, Balabatry, um, Alabama. Are you familiar with that town? I'm not at Okay. All. Are you ready for this? <laughs> yeah, you know, know it. You just don't know that you know it? Okay. Okay. Have you seen Forrest Gump? Yes. All right. Do you know the part where, like, um, Forrest and Bubba are in the Marine Corps and they're, like, cleaning the toothbrush and he's, Bubba's, like, shrimp, <laughs> this, shrimp, that, shrimp, that. Yeah. And the story of Bubba's, like, from Balabatry, Alabama. So that's where oh, I'm from. Oh, yeah. my goodness. <laughs> that's nuts. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, Pretty cool. Um, the seafood capital of Alabama. Um, <laughs> so, so, so it's yeah, like, cool. Yeah, that's my backstory. So yeah. people know it. They just don't know that they know it. Um, but at that time in the 1980s, um, uh, Southeast Asian refugees, like I talked about earlier, would move to areas that looked like home. Mm-hmm. And so the Alabama Mobile area, and I just actually saw this today, which I got very excited. Like we have an ecosystem in Alabama that's it's similar to the Mekong River Delta, as well as the Amazon. So lots of rivers go through Mobile Bay, which has like lots of different um, animals and aquaculture, agriculture, all the things. So a lot of Southeast Asians moved to this little tiny bayou and started their shrimping business and so because my dad was still working with refugees he um we moved down there um and his job was to like on the record help assimilate i'm using quotation marks help assimilate the southeast asians yeah. to probably American like culture. what they told him like <laughs> yeah. go do that yeah, yeah. yeah make sure you know they know like what a sandwich is i don't right. know yeah, so yeah. but my dad had been and still is like an activist mm-hmm. so he, he would take me um a lot on uh, his his meetings and trips if you will just to kind of watch like how he communicated to banks and the police officers and funeral homes and folks like the the medical system Mm -hmm. on how southeast asians live and not so much like trying to assimilate them but protect them a little bit more so they have still practice to to be and to go like feel their trauma (laughs) a little bit and get like systems of oppression off their ass is the best way to say it yeah um so and from um so we were there for 10 years or so so that was a whole like that is rooted in my dna and the first time that i performed was when i was four years old and when um like this theater company came into town and was just they decided we're gonna do the king and i now the, if anybody knows musicals the king and i is very problematic now but mm-hmm. but back then it was like we could get asians on stage and white community and the southeast asians together because it's set in thailand and they already know how to make the costumes and da, 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 da. so it was like this three months of everything just kind of stopped you know like mm-hmm. this world stopped and we all came together to create and my dad had a role and I had a role. My mom made the costumes and there was a lot of people that yeah. showed up to the stage. So the first night that, um, the first night of performance, we had to do a curtain call 
um, the, the director pulled me <laughs> aside because he saw that um, my nose was bleeding like bubbles. Like, like it was gross. It was really oh my bad. Gosh. But I was so excited that my nose started bleeding. Yeah. And so he had to take me outside and clean me up. So I missed my first curtain call. And that's when I knew, <laughs> like, I am bleeding for my art. Yeah. So this is going to wow. be my thing for life. So that's yeah, like you, you're, you're it, it snagged you right yeah. at that moment, right? <laughs> I guess something snagged me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or punched you in the punched nose, you in basically. My face. <laughs> yeah, well, that's awesome. So, I so how does the art journey mm-hmm. continue from there? I mean, you're a, you're a child, but like, do your parents keep you in theater, or oh. or do you pursue it? Where, where do you go? <laughs> oh, this is always a fun question. Um, well, I think from that moment what that theater moment did for me was almost full circle bringing back to four years ago when I started doing social practice theater, Mm -hmm. right? Working with communities that didn't have a space or accessibility to create their own stories, right? Because that's Mm -hmm. what that company did, whether they recognized it or not, was make space and intentionally made space for everyone to be on that stage. So that's what I then started going oh this is my in my dna and i didn't even know it um but as far as like my family (laughs) um my dad um he used my dad did many many things um he used to be an actor he used to do a lot of these things and so he really was appreciative of the arts Mm -hmm. and really wanted me to be in the arts so whenever there was um early on any type of show he would put me in it and he got me my first instrument in sixth grade, so I studied music all up through college. And yeah. so when I was at Mississippi State as a student, I studied theater and music. Okay. Um, and that's what literally kept me in school. Um, and then grad school, um, I studied creative writing. Mm-hmm. And that's where that came from. Um, but my family, <laughs> um, being, I guess, from my mother's side, a second generation, being an artist is not a thing. Yeah. Like, you don't, yeah. like, say, you know, hey, Ma, I'm going to go be a, you know, a dancer now. Like, what? Is that a, is that a stripper? What, are you, like, what right, are you doing? Right. I think they, they literally thought I was a dancer slash stripper probably until, like, six years ago. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> until I got, like, a real girl job. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, so I went to Mississippi State, um, you know, had put all the theater and the music, other than, like, for scholarships. I kind of put it behind me. That's not a real job. So I um, went into um, history um, with the intentions of going into pre-law because um, I believe in justice so much. Um, so, like, I zipped through all my Asian history courses. I zipped through, like, World War II courses. But I was still daydreaming and thinking about my lines and rehearsals and the things that I really wanted to be and where I wanted to be. And so, like, I switched majors without telling my family um, and they found out eventually, not from me. <laughs> so oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, some, surprise. How many snitch on you or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, so you're not becoming a lawyer. I'm like, mm, uh, not not today. Not today. But um, but I, they've, I trusted my passion. They were very scared about it. But they, don't, they see, like, what I'm doing and they're for it. Um, the other thing about this story, uh, why that fear was there was um, with that genocide that occurred in Cambodia. Um, the first people that were executed were the educated and the artists. Mm. And when you look at any genocide, um, you you can look at the Syrian um, as well and kind of compare it. Um, the first people to go are the intellectuals. Yeah. Um, they they hold like the the community consciousness. They hold like power beyond you know we could be talking all day, but something about art 
changes your heart, not to make it rhyme, but then changes your mind, right? It's that immediate and therefore it's dangerous. So uh, I didn't learn until later that why that my family was so fixated on the dancing was because my um my uncle my great uncle um was a dance master in Phnom Penh for oh, wow. the classical ballet and he was taken out and so he um wanted to train my mom as a dancer and she wanted to be a dancer so bad but my grandfather wouldn't let her and in a way in a weird 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 way like not fulfilling her dream kept her alive yeah you know yeah. so so me becoming an artist i feel is like okay at least one person in the family and now we're seeing it with the grandkids and the nieces and the nephews there are they're picking up the art so it's like we're being rebellious in our own way yeah. by continuing to be artists right and yeah. it's like a, a continuation of that legacy mm-hmm. oh my gosh that's that's Wow, that's a lot. I was not expecting you to say that. That's like, first of all, so cool that, you know, he he did that. But unfortunately, like, it, it is the truth that, you know, the scholars, the artists, um, they they get taken advantage of or, you know, obviously in this case, um, just taken out um, because people want to eliminate the culture and that's mm-hmm. really where the culture comes from. Right. How do I how do I begin a new culture? You take out the artists. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the culture though, um you mentioned Cash, which is how a lot of the locals know <laughs> the organization that you work with now. Yeah. Um what does what, say it again? The the Cash <laughs> stands for a, I got to take a whole deep breath <laughs> and I brought like my water with me just in case. Okay. Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange. Yeah, which uh, <laughs> most people, it's C-A-C-H-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of local events have been getting put on by cash lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I've enjoyed a lot of the stuff that's been going on in uh, downtown Springdale personally. Like, Thank you. It's, it's been so great to just see, like, almost just, like, immediately put in and being great entertainment. Um, but what is, like, the mission of cash? Yeah, so... I'm going to try to keep this as brief as possible and please interject and tell me to breathe. (laughs) So cash is an art service organization. Are you familiar with that term? Um, No, no. For everybody, please (laughs) educate us. Yeah. So an art service organization is typically a nonprofit that's found either in a large city or in a region. And all we do and all we're supposed to do is to assist and help arts um the artists and creatives and nonprofits. So as an art service organization for right now, cash provides like three buckets of work right now, um, creativity, community, and um, capacity. So we're doing anything from um, assisting institutions um, with wonderful events that you're going to. Um, went to a great one, Friday night, Rail Yard with MERS, which was cool, um, to assisting cities um, with cultural planning. Like, how do we mm-hmm. start engaging artists a little bit more? Or in my world, um, the capacity world, is how do I um, create programs and resources that um, artists and nonprofits need right now? And so in the last year, um, so we were created in August 2019, um, with Allison Esposito, who can, who is our executive director, and this was um, 
cash was created truly out of a research study from Wolf Brown in the early aughts who were like, yeah, there's a lot of creativity stuff happening here, but there's no hub. There's nowhere for people to go. And everybody's like, yeah. what do I do? How do we connect? What's this thing? And um, so we started uh, August 2019 with um, with just Allison at that time. And then, of course, um, the pandemic happened in March 2020. And when that happened, like, I think all artists and creatives and nonprofits just, yeah, we panicked. We all panicked because if, if anything's going to go first, it's the arts. Um, And so with venues shutting down, um, a lot of our community had nowhere to perform, therefore nowhere to like generate funds. We also didn't have systems in place for the federal government to understand what our plight was so so it was just a lot of confusion lots and lots of confusion um but since then uh, what we did was do immediate programs for funding for individuals ozcast.art was the first that we did for artists and creatives um 20 episodes i believe we hired over 100 artists to to commission work um to get some money back into the um, ecosystem and then we did the bridge fund grant which was i think up to twenty five thousand dollars for nonprofits just to get them through and we had two versions of that so since then we have we are a team of 13 now and we are just like everywhere but nowhere at the same time yeah it's almost it's like guerrilla warfare i feel like it's just like <laughs> no not like guerrilla warfare well, not, not in the, it's like in a good way i guess like you're in the community and it's like the events are just like popping up um almost like right in front of my eyes before i even notice it i think one of the best things about working on this team is like everyone's so highly creative yeah that it's like oh we can solve a problem that took like someone like took someone like three months we got it done in like three hours yeah i'm like this is like my buzzy brain yeah (laughs) is learning and trying to receive so much but also it's not it's unlike any place that i've worked at before Mm. where literally everyone is on the team except for maybe three people are locals yeah if you will um and have a deep understanding of what's going on here and we're all spread out in northwest arkansas and then it's just like having the trust there to 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 hear us and to to execute it as best as possible keeping community as our first um priority yeah um um so man i just got into dreamy land <laughs> yeah right well uh well I, I will say i th- i think it's it's such an important part of the mission that it's like a community planning like a, almost like a a consulting on the arts because i like you said, I grew up here. I've I've been here since I was five or six years old, and I'm 27 now. But um, just seeing the way that investments have been put into these places, but you know, say you have a brand new park, uh, but nobody's going to the park because there's nothing happening in the park, and and you have a lot of people that go to the uh, city hall and complain like, you know, why is this not being kept up? Nobody goes to this. Why are we spending money on these things? Mm-hmm. And it's because, you know, we're, there's no reason for people to engage in it. And I think that's really the change that I've seen in the last, you know, maybe few years. But especially now, I think that people have such an appetite to be outside again. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, which is like the, the most impressive thing to me about how um, these events and these things have been able to been put on right yeah, it's just yeah. just like popping up in in the moment it's as like you mushrooms said. It's like, yeah it's everywhere right yeah and i think you know it, it's that and i want to say 
I, I don't know if most of your listeners are from Springdale. I think the most innovative thing that I've been on this year, um, one of the most innovative um, tables that I've sat at has to do with the Jones Center. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time, and it is the first time, that artists are sitting with designers with that renovation of a major building in Northwest Arkansas that had never happened before. Yeah. And for how that process was with engaging lots of community members and uh, organizations from the beginning to get to the design that they've proposed, um, again, I've not seen that before. I mean, that happens in larger cities. I never thought it would happen in Northwest Arkansas. And I sure as heck didn't think that we would be able to give like $10,000 to three artists, 10 grand each for them to do a phase one and a phase two. Right. You know, and like, that's pretty amazing. Sometimes like the arts are thought about later once the building has been constructed. Uh-huh. No, like they're sitting at it now to like talk about acoustics and where does public art go and what does it look like to have an artist residency space? Like this is going to be a game changer for this area. And I'm so excited it's happening. And that Lisa Marie Evans is the um, pro- um, program or project manager for that, for that project. Yeah, and it is. I mean, I think everybody that's from around here is is pretty excited about that Jones building. I was in one meeting and just hearing the the architects like actually engaging with uh, locals that I knew. I was just like, this is amazing. Oh, we made sure they did the work. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we don't know where you're from, but you're here now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, which is yeah, because you know you you look at a. Uh, big cities where you just have things put in and it doesn't represent necessarily what the community is. Um, So very special. Um, Now we're uh, currently filming this in, (laughs) in, in in Springdale, Uh right? We are. uh, You just, you just call this building 214. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, the 214 team is part of the, I believe the capacity and the creativity team. So that's, um, Oh, I make sure I may say their names correctly. That's Amber Paradin, that's John Wayne Farr, and that's Max um, Perez um, is the three 214 teamers here. And there's a major, major, major announcement coming by the end of the year regarding this space. So you, it's going, again, another game changer yeah. that I never thought was going to happen in this space wow. or in the region period. Yeah. So watch out for that. Um, I, I think they will announce in November. Um but with 214, um, people know it as the ACO building. Um, from what I understand, this building's been here for 52 or 53 years. Yeah, now. for since I've been here, it's, like, it's always been here. Yeah, like, that's like a Gen Xer. <laughs> like, yeah, it's as old as a Gen Xer, I guess. I don't know how old Gen Xers are. I should probably look that up. Um, but yeah, we the intention of this space and the 214 that name will change eventually is to really kind of get this place awakened with community and artists. And we have so many buildings or I'm sorry, rooms and spaces here that we hope by next year, that's going to be filled out with art and artistry. And, mm-hmm. and we sh- we're doing that now. And honestly, if it, we have a rental plan open, so if anybody's listening, definitely um, email Amber and John Wayne, um, Amber at cashcreate.org and JWP at cashcreate.org to talk about how to get into the space and start activating it. Yeah, there you go. And, and for me, like, yes, ACO, the Art Center of the Ozarks has always been such a staple here of, of really community and community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember just like growing up and, and coming to shows. And I remember like my high school theater show that we did. We came here and did it for like uh, some of the elementary kids. What were you in? What? Uh, 
Oh, did it you do was, a music? Did you sing? Did you dance? No, what would no, you do? absolutely not. It was like it was like a spin on Macbeth, and I played a, a crazy king. It was stop. Did you just say Macbeth in this yeah, space? Yeah, I did. Oh, oh gosh, I just activated something. <laughs> I'm gonna have to like stage the space once we're gone. Yeah, right. I know. Thanks, I know. Annie. I was, look, it was a long time ago, and lots of things have changed. Um, but yeah, I mean, is, are there any other things that you think um, our listeners should maybe know about cash or things that are going on in Northwest Arkansas with cash? Yeah, I completely forgot to talk about my job. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. Yeah, please. So, yeah, so my job, Arts Resource Desk, um, we currently have six programs up to assist artists um, and nonprofits immediately. Um, more is coming in our year two. We're currently in year two, but um, those things would be a help desk, um, one on ones. Um, uh, the online directories, um, messaging boards, which are going to change in about a month or so, and um, the cash library and nonprofit finance funds. So the most important out of all those six, I think is the most important is the first, the online directories. So we have up to, so over a year and a half ago, folks thought that we had like 23 arts and culture nonprofits. I did research. There's 118. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> and we've got over like 500 individual artists, um, as far as we know, in the outward facing online directories. So you can go to our website, www.cashcreate.org. Um, and there's going to be a button that says ARD online directories and you can look up folks if you need them for like your shows or you want more information about them or you want to buy some art they're there their websites are there and that's probably the one of the biggest things that this area has needed mm. um other things that I do one-on-ones um I'm here to help any nonprofit or artist get their I don't know if I can say this word shit together yeah, <laughs> but if yeah, you need like cool. <laughs> oh, thank you do you need help with a grant do you now need help with um putting your portfolio together we can set up times to kind of work those things out and I'm pretty accessible um and they can reach out Simone at cashcreate.org yeah yeah well, great. Well, uh, anything else, Simone? Just like last oh words God. you want to say? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things. I mean, I would urge folks to, if there were three things that I could leave folks with, is to always support your artists and nonprofits simply by sharing an event. Um, the biggest thing um, recently has been um, because artists sorry i am making sure i make say this right because it, it's so important i just finished um a large the first ever arts and culture comprehensive survey of this area and the biggest thing that we found was that 73 percent of artists make between zero to twenty thousand dollars based off their art alone mm. that's poverty yeah um, most likely um, we're, we're going to do more research but most likely artists are taking on more than one job they are most likely having families that they have to support. Um, I do not suspect that this was something new that occurred over the pandemic. I, I think this has been around for a long time. Um, but with like cash and other institutions who are hiring artists to, to perform other spaces, like last week, the Momentary had Marsha Lee's dance um, with a brand new group, the Ocean Dancers and um, Mark Harmony. Showing up to those things matter. Mm. It, it shows institutions that local artists need love and support like any other national, international artist that comes in. Um, the second thing I would say is if there, we need space. 
Um, lots of artists have no space whatsoever to create their work. Um, if there are people who have extra buildings, consider turning it into an artist studio. Um, consider turning your Airbnb into also an art gallery that could sell some work. Um, the third thing I would say is um, the arts are not immune to any of the racial and ethnic issues that are occurring elsewhere in the world. I mean, a lot of people like to think that this is like a bohemian space where everybody is loved and respected. And I'm like, I wish it were. Yeah. I wish yeah. it were. So when we talk about, for me personally, when we talk about um, Black Lives Matter and we talk about making space for brown and black folks, as well as able-bodied folks and, I mean, um, dis disabled folks, I'm sorry, and folks who really need to be creative and innovative, how do you make space and how are you including them mm -hmm. in that truly? Yeah. And how can we be truly anti-oppressive and um, have anti-oppression in our work and have it be our foundation when we do this kind of work? Because everybody's stories need to be heard and they need that space to have ownership to do it. Beautiful. Well, hey, Simone, thank you so much for coming oh, on and talking to us about art. I'm, I'm so excited about the direction that Northwest Arkansas is going with art, um, especially because it is such an important part of creating what we have as community. So um, thank you so much for the work you do. Oh, you're welcome, Manny. <laughs> I finally got on the District 3 podcast. Oh, my God. Overdue. <laughs> Overdue, <laughs> sir. But I'm glad to be here yeah. right now today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners. This has been the District 3 podcast. Peace.